from the studios of Postscript Media and Canary Media. Maria Gallucci, here we are once again talking about Puerto Rico. Yes. Um, thank you for having me back, although I wish it was under different circumstances. Tonight, disaster in Puerto Rico. Power on the entire island wiped out by Hurricane Fiona. More than a million without electricity. On September 18th, almost exactly five years after Hurricane Maria wiped out Puerto Rico's electric grid, Hurricane Fiona once again caused the system to fail. The entire electric grid went down. Everybody lost power. Some parts of the island experienced extremely heavy rains, up to 30 inches in some places, which caused catastrophic flooding. The wind and rain so powerful, the water washed away this bridge. This is the moment it was swept away. Bridges washed away, landslides, mudslides have cut some communities off from aid, and people are still literally digging themselves out right now. That's Maria Gallucci. She's a reporter with Canary Media. We had her on the show earlier this year to talk about her reporting on Puerto Rico's grid failures in the months and years after Hurricane Maria and the boom in grassroots solar projects and battery projects as a response. And over the last week, she's been reporting on Fiona's aftermath. Sadly, it's a similar story to Maria. Nearly two weeks later, and one-third of the island's residents still don't have access to power. It's unclear when they'll get it back, and many are still lacking basic water services. People in Puerto Rico have been saying all week that they have this terrible sense of deja vu, that here they are five years later after Hurricane Maria, the grid is down, they're in this emergency survival mode, and they've had, there's been all of this time to build back better, you know, all these slogans that we hear, and obviously what Fiona's Fiona has shown is that that hasn't happened. The storyline has changed for some. There are tens of thousands more solar and battery systems in Puerto Rico, and there were communities that, despite the grid failure, kept the lights on. Maria reached out to one of the organizations she reported on this spring, Casa Pueblo, which has been installing solar panels and batteries in the town of Adjuntas. Casa Pueblo was sharing throughout the week uh, that Fiona hit, sharing examples of solar and battery systems continuing to operate around Adjuntas, including in the homes of medically vulnerable people, um, folks who needed a hospital bed, folks who kind of relied on electricity to power their equipment. And that was really powerful to see. So in Puerto Rico, solar is a lifeline. In Puerto Rico, solar power is, is a lifeline, literally, because after Hurricane Maria, many of the deaths that were attributed to the storm were linked to this lack of electricity, that people weren't able to get the care that they needed, weren't able to communicate that they needed help. It's not just a matter of sort of being uncomfortable or inconvenienced. It, yeah, it is a lifeline. Was this disaster preventable? My sense is that, yes, it, it was preventable, especially because Hurricane Fiona was a Category 1 hurricane. And Hurricane Maria, when it approached the island, it was Category 5, which is the strongest uh, level of hurricane force winds. And when it made landfall, it was Category 4. So during Hurricane Fiona, um, the grid was toppled under kind of much less powerful winds. 
This is The Carbon Copy. I'm Stephen Lacey. This week, we're talking about Fiona's impact on Puerto Rico's grid, what it tells us about why the electricity system there is in shambles, and what solar and storage are doing to keep people safer in the face of hurricanes. Faced with a surge of distributed energy resources, electric cars, and grid constraints, utilities are ramping up dynamic pricing. But the results are mixed. If utilities don't implement rates correctly or transparently, it could be a major roadblock for the energy transition and a headache for customers. On June 13th, Latitude Media and GridX will host a frontier forum to examine the imperative of good rate design and the consequences of getting it wrong. Register at the link in the show notes or go to latitudemedia.com events. Clean energy and climate tech are policy-driven industries, and anyone working in this field touches local, state, and federal policy in a very real way. And that's why you should be listening to Political Climate, a podcast from Latitude Media and Boundary Stone Partners that delivers an insider's view on climate policy and politics. Every other week, co-hosts Julia Piper, Emily Dominich, and Brandon Hurlbuck cover the nuances of government funding, regulations, backroom negotiations, and the election, of course. Political Climate is a show for people who want authentic conversations and strong opinions from voices across the political spectrum. Listen at latitudemedia.com or subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts. This summer, we had you on the show to talk about where Puerto Rico's energy system stands five years later. And we talked about this energy insurrection, this bottom-up movement to get more solar and battery storage on homes and community centers uh, and other pieces of critical infrastructure, and how there was this tension between the utilities, grid plans, and what citizens wanted. We're entering hurricane season. It's going to put this distributed energy to the test. And here we have Hurricane Fiona. What was that test? And how did solar and battery storage fare? So fortunately for the the people who do have uh, rooftop solar and battery systems at their homes or businesses, they did seem to hold up from, from the folks I talked to and from, from what I was reading. Um, there's a, a fire station that I visited in Guanica, which is on the southern coast, and kind of Briefly over text message, you know, they're responding to the disaster, but they said, yes, we never lost power at all during the hurricane. And in previous emergencies during Maria, during this massive earthquake uh, in 2020, they did lose power. That meant they couldn't communicate with people who needed help. And in this instance, because they had a pretty substantial uh, solar and battery system, they were able to stay connected and continue receiving calls. And even from homeowners kind of in their their personal situations i heard that their their systems were working there it's not that they're using all of their appliances it's not the full sort of normal electricity demand but certainly they have enough to keep the refrigerator running to power their uh, vital medical equipment to use their electric hospital beds so there are all these necessities that suddenly become can become tragedies when you don't have power and how different is the situation on the ground today versus when Hurricane Maria hit? How many solar systems do we have? How many homeowners are actually benefiting from the use of solar and batteries? So before Hurricane Maria hit in 2017, there were roughly 5,000 rooftop solar systems on the island, and very few of them had um, battery backup systems. Today, the number is around 50, 55,000 solar systems, and the majority have batteries. And that's largely because people saw during 
Maria, that if you don't have batteries, then your solar systems aren't going to provide power. You essentially cannot use them without battery backup. And in the ensuing years since Maria hit, the grid has continued to get worse. People uh, have dealt with routine power outages, voltage surges that damage their appliances, um, kind of sweeping island-wide blackouts. So it's not that Maria hit and they said, oh, better get ready. It's that they've continued to grapple with a crumbling grid. And those who can afford to do so or nonprofits for philanthropies who can provide that equipment have um, invested in rooftop solar. This morning, across Puerto Rico, an urgent power struggle. Frequent blackouts, at times impacting hundreds of thousands of people. Now, officials say the island's power grid is in critical condition. Even before Fiona, there were protests erupting in Puerto Rico about management of the grid by Luma. Uh, th there's this grassroots movement criticizing the privatization of the utility for these shortcomings. What has been the experience of the grid under the control of Luma in recent years? And how is Luma responding to this very significant outage once again? So Luma's response has always sort of been, look, we inherited this troubled, failing grid and sort of larger grid ecosystem from PREPA, from Puerto Rico state-run utility. And we're doing the best we can given these difficult circumstances. But I think for most Puerto Ricans, there's this extreme sense of anger and frustration because they haven't seen the grid get better and their experience is getting worse. And on top of that, they're paying even more for their electricity. Um, many customers have seen their electricity bills double. So they're paying more for a crappier service, essentially. And there's so much money, so much federal recovery dollars flowing into the island, very little of that has actually been uh, distributed and is actually making a difference. So billions of uh, federal recovery dollars have been made available and are, are flowing to the island specifically to fix the grid and to potentially invest in renewable energy. And very little of that money is actually you know, being distributed on the ground. And so Puerto Ricans aren't really seeing much of a difference at all. So you have two problems. One is utility management or mismanagement, and the other is government funds and government mismanagement not being able to get these dollars deployed fast enough. Right, exactly. And I would add a third element or kind of a parallel element is that these funds, these efforts are largely being used to rebuild the existing grid, sort of this centralized system with far-flung power plants and long transmission and distribution lines that, as we've seen again and again, are vulnerable to extreme weather events, to other types of disruptions. So a lot of um, community groups, environmental justice advocates, engineers, energy experts are arguing that as we work to rebuild Puerto Rico's grid or electricity system, let's do it differently. Let's invest in these rooftop solar and battery systems that we've seen actually do make a difference during disasters like Fiona. Let's build microgrids, let's build virtual power plants. And those are kind of technical terms for essentially harnessing all of these rooftop solar systems and using them in ways that benefit the centralized system. Mark your calendars for June 13th at noon Eastern. That's when Latitude Media and GridX will host a live interactive discussion on implementing modern utility rates.
Dynamic rates are vital for motivating customers to electrify, adopt DERs, and embrace demand flexibility. Utility rates could make or break the energy transition. So how do we do it right? Join Latitude Media's Stephen Lacey, Gridex CCO Scott Ingstrom, and economist Ahmad Faruqi for an in-depth discussion on the future of rates on June 13th. Register for free by clicking the link in the show notes or go to latitudemedia.com slash events. I'm Julia Piper. I'm Brandon Hurlbut. And I'm Emily Dominich. A little over a year ago, political climate took a break so we could focus on the groundwork of implementing America's biggest ever climate bill, the Inflation Reduction Act. I'm excited to say political climate is back. And I'll be joined by my two co-hosts to riff on the top political stories and insider scoops from state houses to the halls of Congress to regulatory agencies and even international climate talks. We'll explain how those developments are driving industry decisions today. Political Climate is a show for people who want authentic conversations. And to learn about how energy and climate policy is shaped within both political parties from the people who have actually helped shape it. So join me, Brandon and Emily, every other week, starting in April, for fresh episodes of Political Climate. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. After Maria, we had all these great ideas about how to make the system more distributed. And because of the factors that you laid out, we didn't see the kind of investment that we could have to make the system more distributed and more resilient. Does Fiona change that conversation in any way? I do think Fiona offers this proof of concept, this, okay, after Maria, we said, let's build distributed solar energy, and look, here, it's actually working. So whether or not it shifts the conversation, um, maybe maybe too soon to tell. I think what's hard is that this is a conversation that's been happening for years. There have been multiple reports from universities, both in Puerto Rico and the United States, national laboratories, um, many experts, many large technology companies are thinking about this, mapping out how this could work, what this would look like. But the problem is implementation. I guess it remains to be seen whether in the aftermath of Fiona, the sort of corruption and mismanagement and feet dragging uh, will change. There's a lot of reasons to be shocked by this story. But the thing that really gets me is that we know how to do this, right? We can see that solar and batteries can be reliable. We see pretty low failure rates during storms and over the lifetime of systems. We know how to do this, and yet we can't do it in Puerto Rico. Five years ago, it felt like maybe we could. And Today, we're dealing with the same problem. Even though the technology has gotten better, costs have come down, and the models have improved in other places. Did you expect Puerto Rico to be this far behind five years after the Maria disaster? You know, immediately after Maria, because there was so much optimism and sort of bringing minds together and let's really solve this problem, it did feel like that there could really be some change. But having continued to report on Puerto Rico, having visited the island most recently in May, and you see that the situation has not really changed. There perhaps have been some improvements in sort of the day-to-day electricity service, but not on the whole. And you see the frustration growing among people. The, the, fact, the fact that there is so much rooftop solar, I think really reflects Well, it's two things. It kind of reflects this movement toward more renewable, resilient energy 
And it also reflects sort of the failures of the grid, that people actually need it. In many other places, certainly in New York City where I'm based, uh, rooftop solar and batteries is a nice to have. In Puerto Rico, it's a need to have. You need to refrigerate your insulin. You need to power your nebulizer. Um, You need to stay connected and charge your phone because an emergency is unfolding. So I think that the fact that rooftop solar and batteries has proliferated as much as it has in Puerto Rico really shows how vulnerable residents remain and sort of how unreliable the grid still is. As I'm watching this play out, I'm using this term resiliency. But that term doesn't quite feel appropriate given how catastrophic things are. It feels like we need a different term. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the word that I'm hearing from a Puerto Rican journalist that I'm in touch with or I'm following is survival. That this isn't resiliency. This isn't scrappy people making do with what they can. It's it's people being forced to survive. And there's this extreme sense of disappointment and anger and frustration because people shouldn't be in the position of having to survive. They're, the systems, the government, their leaders have have failed them. And and I think that you're really hearing this, this sort of shift that don't call it resiliency, call it survival, kind of starting to come through in the days after Fiona. Maria Gallucci, a reporter with Canary Media, Thanks so much for joining us again. Thank you for having me. The Carbon Copy is a co-production of Postscript Media and Canary Media. This episode was produced by Alexandria Herr with help from Cecily Mesa-Martinez, Frank, our engineers. Original music came from Sean Marquand from Echo Finch and Blue Dot Sessions. Postscript Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude is a venture capital firm that partners with entrepreneurs to address climate change across a wide range of sectors. That includes advanced energy, food and agriculture, transportation and logistics, advanced materials and manufacturing, and advanced computing. If you want to see our back catalog episodes, go to any podcast app you listen on or go to canarymedia.com and sign up for their newsletters and you'll get our show notes, updates, and lots of good clean energy and energy transition news. And of course, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, give us a rating. It's hugely helpful and send your thoughts on social media as well and if you've got someone in your life who would like this show or any of our other postscript media shows send them a link i am stephen lacy this is the carbon copy i'll catch you next time <laughs>